Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 37 of The Life of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. Lord's Day, December 8, discoursed on the story of the blind man, John 9. There appeared no remarkable effect of the word upon the assembly at this time. The persons who have lately been much concerned for their souls seemed not so affected or solicitous to obtain an interest in Christ as has been usual. Although they attended divine service with seriousness and diligence, such have been the doings of the Lord here in awakening sinners and affecting the hearts of those who are brought to solid comfort with a fresh sense of divine things from time to time, that it is now strange to see the assembly sit with dry eyes and without sobs and groans. December 12, preached from the parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25. The divine power seemed in some measure to attend this discourse in which I was favored with uncommon freedom and plainness of address and enabled to open divine truths and explain them to the capacities of my people in a manner beyond myself. There appeared in many persons an affectionate concern for their souls although the concern in general seemed not so deep and pressing as it had formerly done, yet it was refreshing to see many melted into tears and unaffected sobs, some with a sense of divine love and some for the want of it. December 15, preached to the Indians from Luke 13, 24 to 28, Divine truth fell with weight and power upon the audience and seemed to reach the hearts of many. Near night, discoursed to them again from Matthew 25, 31 to 46. At this season also, the word appeared to be accompanied with a divine influence and made powerful impressions upon the assembly in general, as well as upon numbers in a very special and particular manner. This was an amazing season of grace. The word of the Lord this day was quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and pierced the hearts of many. The assembly was greatly affected and deeply wrought upon, yet without so much apparent commotion of the passions as appeared in the beginning of this work of grace. The impressions made by the word of God upon the audience, appeared solid, rational, and deep, worthy of the solemn truths by means of which they were produced, and far from being the effects of any sudden fright or groundless perturbation of mind. Oh, how did the hearts of the hearers seem to bow under the weight of divine truth, and how evident did it now appear that they received and felt them, not as the word of man, but as the word of God. None can form a just idea of the appearance of our assembly at this time. 
but those who have seen a congregation solemnly awed and deeply impressed by the special power and influence of divine truths delivered to them in the name of God. December 16, discoursed to my people in the evening from Luke 11, 1 through 13, after having insisted some time upon the ninth verse, wherein there is a command and encouragement to ask for the divine favor. I called upon them to ask for a new heart with the utmost importunity, as the man mentioned in the parable on which I was discoursing, pleaded for loaves of bread at midnight. There was much affection and concern in the assembly, and especially one woman appeared in great distress for her soul. She was brought to such an agony in seeking after Christ that the sweat ran off her face for a considerable time, though the evening was very cold. And her bitter cries were the most affecting indications of her heart. December 21. My people having now attained to a considerable degree of knowledge in the principles of Christianity, I thought it proper to set up a catechical lecture among them, and this evening attempted something in that form, proposing questions to them agreeably to the Assembly's shorter catechism, receiving their answers, and then explaining and insisting as appeared necessary and proper upon each question. After this, I endeavored to make some practical improvement of the whole. This was the method I entered upon. They were able readily and rationally to answer many important questions which I proposed to them, so that, upon trial, I found their doctrinal knowledge to exceed my own expectations. In the improvement of my discourse, which I came to infer and open the blessedness of those who have so great and glorious a God as had before been spoken of for their everlasting friend and portion. Several were much affected, and especially when I exhorted and endeavored to persuade them to be reconciled to God through his dear Son, and thus to secure an interest in his everlasting favor so that they appeared not only enlightened and instructed, but affected and engaged in their soul's concerns by this method of discoursing. Lord's Day, December 22, discoursed upon the story of the young man in the gospel, Matthew 9, 16 through 22. God made it a seasonable word, I am persuaded, to some souls. and in particular to one. The same mentioned in my journal of the 16th instant, who never before obtained any settled comfort, though I have abundant reason to think she had passed a saving change some days before. She now appeared in a heavenly frame of mind, composed and delighted with the divine will. When I came to discourse particularly with her, and to inquire of her how she obtained relief and deliverance 
from the spiritual distresses which she had lately suffered. She answered in broken English, Me try, me try, save myself. Last, my strength be all gone, meaning her ability to save herself. Could not me stir bit further. Den, last me forced, let Jesus Christ alone send me hell, if he please. I said, but you was not willing to go to hell, was you? She replied, could not me help it? My heart, he would wicked for all. Could not me make him good? Meaning, she saw it was right she should go to hell because her heart was wicked and would be so after all she could do to mend it. I asked her how she got out of this case. She answered still in the same broken language. Bye-bye, my heart be glad desperately. I asked her why her heart was glad. She replied, glad my heart. Jesus Christ do what he please with me. Did not me care where he put me, love him for all, etc. She could not readily be convinced, but that she was willing to go to hell if Christ was pleased to send her there. Although the truth evidently was that her will was so swallowed up in the divine will that she could not frame any hell in her imagination, which would be dreadful or undesirable, provided it was the will of God to send her to it. Toward night discoursed to them again in the catechical method, which I entered upon the evening before. When I came to improve the truth, which I had explained to them, and to answer that question, but how shall I know whether God has chosen me to everlasting life? by pressing them to come and give up their hearts to Christ and thereby to make their election sure, they then appeared much affected and the persons under concern were afresh engaged in seeking after an interest in him, while some others who had obtained comfort before were refreshed to find that love to God in themselves, which was an evidence of his electing love to them. December 25. The Indians, having been used on Christmas days to drink and revel among some of the white people in these parts, I thought it proper this day to call them together and discourse to them upon divine things, which I accordingly did from the parable of the barren fig tree, Luke 13, 6 to 9. <clears throat> A divine influence, I am persuaded, accompanied the word at this season. The power of God appeared in the assembly, not by producing any remarkable cries, but by rousing several stupid creatures who were scarcely ever moved with any concern before. The power attending divine truth seemed to have the influence of the earthquake, rather than of the whirlwind upon them. Their passions were not so much alarmed as has been common here in times past, 
but their judgments appeared to be powerfully convinced by the masterly and conquering influence of divine truth. The impressions made upon the assembly in general seemed not superficial, but deep and heart-affecting. Oh, how ready did they now appear, universally, to embrace and comply with everything which they heard and were convinced was their duty. God was in the midst of us, of a truth, bowing and melting stubborn hearts. How many tears and sobs were then to be seen and heard among us? What liveliness and strict attention, what eagerness and intenseness of mind appeared in the whole assembly in the time of divine service? They seemed to watch and wait for the droppings of God's word as the thirsty earth for the former and latter rain. Afterward, I discoursed to them on the duty of husbands and wives from Ephesians 5, 22 to 20, 33. And I have reason to think this was a word in season. Spent some time further in the evening in inculcating the truths on which I had insisted in my former discourse respecting the barren fig tree and observed a powerful influence still accompany what was spoken. This concludes episode 37 of Jonathan Edwards, The Life of David Brainerd 